Welcome back, everyone. This is another episode of Post-Mormon at the Movies. I'm Dan. And hi, I'm Nick. And we're back again. It's just us. Just the Post-Mormon at the Movies classic. Yeah. <laughs> Today, we're going to be talking about the movie Into the Woods. Yeah. This is a movie that's based on a musical, musical lyrics by Stephen Sondheim, mm-hmm. who, if you don't know, he's kind of a well-known, you know, musical, American musical Broadway guy. He passed away right. last year. That's um, true. I forgot about that. Yeah. And so I think he's kind of in in recent memory, you know, kind of. Um, he's also known, he did the lyrics for West Side Story. He did Sweeney Todd. I was just trying to remember. That's the one. Yeah. That's the one I feel like gets mentioned the most, or at least that I feel connect. he's connected to is Into the Woods and then Sweeney Todd. Yeah. And so I think it's important at the beginning to just say we're we're going to focus mostly on the film. Um, right. I, I've seen a stage adaptation of it, but I'm not familiar with it enough to know the ins and outs of the differences between the film adaptation and the stage production. So mm-hmm. if there's any like hardcore theater nerds out there. I'm, I'm sorry. We're just going to focus on the, on the movie for you today. Yep. Um, Until we spin off our podcast, you know, be post-Mormon at the, <laughs> post-Mormon box, at the, the, theater. At the Broadway. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, which I, there are some that I think we should cover. Yeah. Um, eventually I would love to do an episode on Wicked. And we've been waiting like a decade at least for them to make a movie of that. <laughs> yeah. Thing, so, yeah. Um, I would love to do Book of Mormon, the musical. True. So we'll, we'll see. Yeah. We'll have to see if we do post-Mormon at the theater at some point, <laughs> but we're sticking with Into the Woods today. Um, before we jump in, Nick, is there any listener mail that we need to address? Uh, and no. But if, you know, our listeners have any uh, thoughts or questions or um, opinions they'd like to share, that they'd like us to discuss on the show, let us know. Uh, we have email. We have, you can reach us through Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We're on, what's the other one? TikTok. That's the one I'm not very good at. Um yeah, social media is probably the easiest way to get a hold of us. But yeah, all that contact information is in our show notes. And yeah, so feel free to reach out with any comments, questions, or suggestions. We always love hearing like, what movies have we not covered that you'd love to hear us cover? It's it's hard because we when we first started the podcast, we got a lot of those. And so we have this big, giant list. Right. Um, and I feel like we've, we've whittled down that list a little bit while we've also been doing yeah. movies we want. But yeah. We won't be able to get to everything that has ever been suggested to us, but yeah. feel free to let us know. We're happy. And you know what? Um, we've had people who are guests on the show who have reached out and that's how they got on. So if you want to be on an episode with us, yeah, that's that's a possibility that that might happen. So anyways, let's let's jump into the movie. Into the Woods, directed by Rob Marshall, who has done a lot of m- musicals, especially like he did Into the Woods, obviously, but he did the new Mary Poppins with Disney. He did Chicago. Those are kind of, at least in movies, like his bigger, the bigger things I've known him for. He did the fourth Pirates of the Caribbean movie, I think, Mm. but you know, won't hold that against him. (laughs) But yeah, sort of like a Disney guy, like done a lot of bigger stuff with Disney. And I think because of that, like he was able to pull together a really cool cast for this movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Great casting. Any movie they can get Meryl Streep, to like yep. be a, a you know uh have fun sort of as a with tons of makeup on and like a very kind of kooky character like i think she probably had fun yeah in this, i mean in i was reading movie. that she said and once she turned a certain age she got offered like three roles as witches in the same year <laughs> and so she made a rule of like no witches i'm not going to ever play a witch in a movie uh-huh. and into the woods convinced her now i'll break my rule for this oh, movie and she was great yeah um this movie when did it come out like 2014 yeah 2014 okay did you watch it when it first came out yeah i actually went and saw this one in theaters when it came out i think it came out around christmas and went and saw it with like my siblings and my wife and all i knew about it was that this was like a movie or a a musical from the stage that people loved Mm -hmm. that had like very passionate following and had had lots of false starts to become a movie Mm. Um, Jim Henson tried to make it into a movie that like using puppetry for a lot uh-huh. of parts and that fell through and then he died, I think shortly after. And so it sort of completely fell apart. 
And so like reading on IMDb, the trivia, it's like, there's a version of this movie that like would have had Robin Williams as the baker. Hmm. There was a version of this movie that I think had Billy Crystal as the baker. Like, so like, this is sort of a, and we ended up with James Corden. (laughs) (laughs) You said it, not me, but I think he's fine in this movie. Like this is probably my introduction to him. Mm -hmm. And it was like, and then he was fine in this role, I think, but just, yeah. (laughs) But Robin Williams, um, would have been really cool. Uh-huh. I mean, then just sort of like all the other casting that was like potential people they were talking to and they did like table reads with it. And so there's like probably some video footage out there somewhere of like them just all around a table reading through the script of a version mm-hmm. of this movie. And so, yeah, long journey to become a film. And I think, I know when it came out, like it, I don't think it did super well. Like I think it, it did fine, but like mm-hmm. probably wasn't as big as they were hoping but I really enjoyed it. Like I'm not a musical guy. Musicals really got to work for me, for me to enjoy it. And well, it's, it's good. This one won you over. Yeah. Yeah. So I saw this and while it was theater in theaters as well. Um, my sister, I think she was in the pit orchestra for this because our high school did this after we had graduated oh, okay. um, for the musical that year. And so she, she was involved with it. And so I had heard about it, but I hadn't seen it. This was my first time. Yeah. You know, when I saw it in theaters, that was my first experience. I knew it was about like various fairy, fairy tales right. put together. Um, and then I've, I've seen the stage production once, um, a few years after that. Again, you know, not too big on like, I'm, I don't know it well enough to know the differences between. But mm-hmm. the movie hit me at a really interesting time. And so... um like it, it kind of holds this almost tender place right. in, in my, in like my, my nostalgia. Um, this movie, I saw this while I was in the middle of kind of going through my faith crisis mm-hmm. and thinking about leaving the church. And we might talk about that a little bit later. Um, my parents were in the middle of getting a divorce during this. And so that kind of, there's some notes that were hit there. And so it just like, kind of like really emotional, emotionally impactful. Yeah for me and so every time like i think or revisited it kind of you know it it hits those same notes for me yeah that's interesting i just thought it was a good movie yeah yeah (laughs) yeah i mean i mean yeah um i think it would be useful just to kind of give a like a brief overview of the movie you know spoiler warnings obviously but um yeah there's a lot going on in this movie yeah we're following several storylines based on several fairy tales uh like familiar fairy tales and it's structured in such a way that the whole first act the first half of the movie is almost its own self-contained thing Mm -hmm. and it's almost like at the end of that first half it's like happily ever after you know we've tied up the loose ends and everybody gets a happy ending everybody gets what they want and you know, it's great. Mm -hmm. I have a friend who saw this and he's like, I wish they would have just ended it there, (laughs) you know? Right. Um, Which to me, like that you're, you're missing like the whole point of the the message of it, you know, (laughs) because what happens is there's this whole second half, which is, is the second act after the intermission in the stage production, where it's like, what happens after happily ever after, Right. right? What, what are the consequences? Um, you know, things shift, you know, we're kind of thrown into chaos and, you know, the first half is very much black and white, mm-hmm. you know, easy to see who's the good guy, who's the bad guy. The second half, it's very, uh, you know, very gray, very morally ambiguous. Who's right? Who's wrong? What's the right thing to do? Right. Uh, and, and so that's kind of the the context of the show, you know, and I think it's kind of important for listeners to know that or to keep that in mind as we're kind of discussing these points of view mm-hmm. as we go through. So let's put on our um like believing LDS member hats yeah. and kind of like what what did we think of, well you know what's in this movie that that would appeal to faithful believing LDS? Well my first question is was the person who said I wish they ended there Believing LDS, yes, because, <laughs> yes, because that's sort of like unsurprisingly, <laughs> I think the first half of this movie is probably going to sit well with most members of the church because it, it the fairy tale 
story. Like, and when we've looked at a lot of other fairy tales or, or sort of Disney animated movies, you know, like Frozen and Tangled and members of the church really like these stories because like they're wholesome mm-hmm. and innocuous and like, it's very clear who, what's right and what's wrong. Mm-hmm. And there's a happy ending. Here's and, the moral of the story. Yeah, go. exactly. Yeah. And, and I think it would be unfair to say that like, you know, true believing Mormons would only love the first half because right. I have, you know, family members that are believing that like, you know, love the nuance and ambiguity and kind of the messiness mm-hmm. and, and can still appreciate it. And so I think, but yeah, I think I'm, I'm painting with a broad brush. I, yeah. I, I but, know. but here's yeah. the thing from, from the, not the perspective of individual members, but pers- from the perspective of like the church as an organization, right. I feel like they would just really love you to focus on that first half <laughs> of the movie. You know? Yeah, like, exactly. You know, the, they would never really present or maybe fully support, you know, things like the second half of this film right. or this story. No. Yeah. And I think that's definitely more where I was thinking. Yeah. What else? I think, cause I mean, I think musicals are just, I know we haven't looked at a ton of musicals, but like musicals are like in the bones of members of the church. I feel like that's true. Yeah. And um, I think we talked about that a little bit in, cause we did do Fiddler on the Roof. Right. Um, and just kind of talked about how tradition tradition yeah yeah um like at least like the circles that i ran ran around in like you know your your traditional orthodox believing member they you love musicals probably for the same reasons as uh you know like the the fairy tale disney stories just because you know there's usually a good message it's usually pretty pretty clean entertainment um mm-hmm. you know mormons love the the music and dance and song and so I feel, and they had the Thomas S. Monson stamp of approval. Exactly, he would always quote entertainment yeah. form. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Which um, is always fun. Like, I mean, I I think anytime like something from pop culture got mentioned in general conference, my ears would always perk up. It's like maybe they're normal, <laughs> 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 like, like that they enjoy just watching movies is yeah. a fun idea. Yeah, but yeah, definitely like always fun to hear like specific musical references from president monson yeah um so i found i just did like a quick search you know just as i was kind of researching before we yeah. got together i just typed in like into the woods lds you know mm-hmm. just to see what would pop up on google and there's an article on this website or this blog um the blog is called wheat and tares uh-huh. and I'm not too familiar with it. It seems to be, are you familiar with it? Yeah. I mean, or I maybe was more familiar with it. I don't know now sort of, um, but it, it seems to be coming from a, like a faithful believing perspective, but like very, yeah. very nuanced. Yeah. So like very kind of open to, you know, different perspectives and nuance. And I, yeah, that I love, was always my feeling. Yeah. Like I love the I little, the little tagline, the little subheading under the, the title like on the main page is wheat and tares, the philosophies of men mingled with the philosophies of women. So that, <laughs> that just cracked me up a little bit. Anyway, so there's there's an article that they published back in 2015. The author is Nate. That's all that we get for a name. But um, it's, the article is called Into the Woods, the Humanist Gospel of Stephen Sondheim. I'm just going to read a little bit from it. Mm-hmm. Okay, and we'll, we'll, we'll link this in the show notes so you can go read the full article. Each act of the original musical presents two entirely different philosophies and worldviews. Act one presents a religious and moral view of life, and act two, a humanist and morally relative view of life. The end result is a remarkable fusion of religious and humanist beliefs in which both are presented with nuance and respect. Ultimately, it demonstrates that both religious and secular humanist principles reveal important truths and should be able to coexist. Um, Whether or not that was Stephen Sondheim's you know, goal, that's, Intention, kind of the, yeah. that's kind of the theme that they took and ran with and kind of said, you know, the first act is very much, you know, religiously moral, right and wrong, kind of like we said. Yeah. The second half kind of embraces some of these humanism values or ideas. Um, but they, they, they mentioned some like really interesting things in, in the first act um, the whole story of the baker with the magic beans is very similar to um, Adam and Eve in the garden. You know, mm-hmm. they're, um, you know, they're unable to 
have children. Um, there are some beans or magic fruit that is stolen. And because of that, there's a curse, mm-hmm. you know, that is, that is put on them and they have to go out into the lone and dreary world or the woods, um, you know, in order to um, find these things and make a sacrifice in order to reverse this curse, you know? So there's, you know, there's some pretty good, you know, at least LDS theological symbolism again, whether intentional or not, probably not, but. And very LDS to stretch the metaphor a little bit. uh, Yeah. Make that connection. So yeah, believing members, I feel, and we do this too, I'm sure. I do. We love love to stretch the the metaphor to fit it into what we're wanting, wanting to talk about. So Um, yeah, I think that's really like, I think a good example of that sort of dichotomy between the first and second halves is the witch. Like in the first half, she's very much an antagonist to the baker and his wife mm-hmm. in like helping them get what they want by helping her get what she wants and like providing obstacles to what they want. But in the second half, like she becomes this voice of like gray, moral gray reason of like, mm-hmm maybe sacrificing a little boy would be fine if it means everyone else in the kingdom yeah, is okay. Yeah. And, and there's like logic behind why she's saying that. Whereas in the first half, like no one would consider that from the witch because right. it's obviously she's, you know, coming from a place of being the witch, the bad guy. Maybe we'll get back more into that article, but yeah, check that out. It was an interesting read. Yeah. Um, yeah. That sounds good. I looked up a lot of the song lyrics. One of the good like summations of like the lessons you're supposed to learn is what Little Red Riding Hood sings after she gets saved. You know, mm-hmm. she's singing, I know things now, many valuable things that I hadn't known before. Take extra care with strangers. Even flowers have their dangers. And though scary is exciting, nice is different than good, which, I, you know, I think this is brilliant. I love the lyrics. Here. Right. Um, yeah. Very clever, very like profound. Um, but she like that song is like, yeah, like stay on the path, you know, look straight ahead. Don't get distracted right. by by the sin in the woods. Just kind of do your thing and, and you'll be good. And that's what we see is that there's, you know, the happy ending at the end of, end mm-hmm. of the first act. There's there's lots of different ways in which, well, is there anything else from like a believing perspective that you like felt to pull out of this? Yeah, That you wanted to like talk about or like. Like identifying with the characters in the first half as a believing member, I think is just is really simple because mm-hmm. um, a lot of it's based around sort of like, well, the whole movie is around parent child relationships in a lot of ways. And, and so I think like, especially like the Baker and his wife, like is a really easy viewpoint to like latch onto as a believing member, because like, they just want a family and like, mm-hmm. that's all that's really driving everything they're doing. And that like, it's very much like the Baker being the patriarch this relationship mm-hmm. and saying like mm-hmm. no I, i'm gonna go do it out in the woods by myself and like and i do really love their like the evolution of that relationship over the first half which is like mm-hmm. we need to do it together like that we can like both take you know responsibility here and and i think that like as a believing member like this is a good example of like how a relationship should be working from a mormon point of view is that like he's the leader but like they're equals and yeah yeah. Um, and they just want a family like that's, you know, and they'll do whatever it takes. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of the like relationship with the witch is like giving very specific rules that make no sense. Like there's mm-hmm. no logic behind why she's asking for what she's asking for other than their pieces of all the other stories that are going on. And yeah. so it keeps everything central. So they don't know why they're going to grab a red cloak and hairs, yellows corn. Mm-hmm. And, and so um, but they're they're following it exactly until they, uh, you know, have everything they want so that they can have a baby. Mm-hmm. And I love um, how he says, you know, I guess if I if we want this baby, it's going to be need to be more than just me, you know. So I guess <laughs> I guess yeah, you can come in, <laughs> come along. <laughs> exactly. I I would say that probably most Mormon women who have lots of children would probably like a sped up pregnancy. <laughs> um, like like the baker's wife has <laughs> yeah. in this in, at the end of the first act, but um, but I also love like slipping into like the post Mormon point of view is that like the witches' rules don't make any sense, but they're following them anyway, and, and because that's what they've been told, we'll break the curse, they'll get the blessings that they mm-hmm. want, and when they have the hairs yellow as corn, and then the witch is like, I touched this, like I told you, I can't use anything I've touched. Mm-hmm. Then they're like, Well, what about the hair from the corn? 
And then she's like, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I guess and, that'll work. Yeah. <laughs> and it's sort of like, well, then why were we being so like, why was the rule so strict before? Yeah. And it's like, well, why did I hold up that rule as something so important earlier? Right. And, you know, they talk a lot about like obedience with exactness, you know? And, right. Um, anyways. Yeah. Until the rule gets changed. Until so the rule gets yeah, changed. Do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. You know, just reverse that 2015 policy <laughs> three years later. Right. Or even more recently, like we never said anything about ear piercing, sort of, <laughs> you know, changing that rule yeah, and yeah. the most recent for strength of youth pamphlet. And mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that little, that those sort of things happen a lot where that rule is really important. And so like, cause that, and I was always felt like, I, I think I was told this specifically of like, like you'll be judged based on the, what the rules were like when you were a youth. So like, mm. if these were the rules when you were 12 to 18, then like, that's what you'll be judged by. But people before you will be judged on different rules. And and it's like, that doesn't make sense with everything else in the gospel. Yeah. <laughs> but but yeah. that was the way to rationalize that, like why things change so much. Yeah. It's all relative, like the yeah. second half of the yeah. musical. Mm-hmm. But relativity, I guess to put the sort of the fine point on that, like relativity is great from a humanist point of view, I think, or can be. Yeah. But when you're dealing with an all-knowing, all-powerful heavenly father, relativity becomes complicated. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So maybe jumping into that area, this, you know, morally yeah. ambiguous second half and maybe even some, you know, post-Mormon yeah. viewpoints, going with like that idea of relativity and like, I remember a really good uh, elders quorum lesson discussion when I was in going to optometry school mm-hmm. after I'd left BYU. This is in the singles ward. And um, I can't remember what was going on, but like there's one person brought up a comment about like, we, we need to be really careful not to take, you know, our LDS viewpoints and opinions and like the rules that we know and live by and judge others outside of our worldview and outside of our perspective by those rules, mm-hmm. because, you know, you shouldn't drink coffee or tea, but like, you know, and so I, I remember being a kid growing up and I'm like, Oh, like, you know, so-and-so drinking coffee, mm-hmm. bad, bad. And it's not even like a, a moral thing. I would say, I think some believing members would say that, you know, drinking coffee is immoral, which it's, it's like a rule. And it's like, you know, right. Something that was given, but like to these other people who are drinking coffee, it's like, you know, there's nothing that they've been taught or like, yeah. You know, like I think say, a missionary missionary way of saying it would be like, they're not accountable for those actions because yeah, like, they don't exactly. know the truth. And so I remember like, quotes and a I remember like, there. yeah, I remember being a child and just like having those thoughts of like, Oh, like, you know, they're, you know, bad, but right. like, obviously I've matured a lot since then, but like, that was kind of like the, the natural viewpoint that I gained from maybe growing up in that church mm-hmm. environment. Um, but, you know, you look at the story and in, in, in reading some things about this movie, it's like, you know, what, what was the wolf growing up as the wolf? It's, it's okay for wolves to eat humans. Mm-hmm. You know, and as a human, obviously that's, that's a wrong thing that we don't like, but the wolf was acting within his, you know, sphere and, and nature with, right. that. you know, putting aside the, you know, the sexual symbolism and metaphors there, <laughs> right. but like, you know, as, as a wolf, like wolves eat, they need to eat to live, you know, and yeah, they might have to eat a person. And I can't remember if this is from the play or if it's in the movie too, but the witch asked little red riding hood, how many wolves have you carved up? And then she says, a wolf's not the same as a human. And then the witch says, ask the wolf's mother, you know? And so mm-hmm. it, again, it's all relative here. Yeah. Hopefully that thought wasn't too, I felt kind of. <laughs> no, I. Scattered yeah, I like Kind of conveying that thought, but. Again, sort of like the the difference between the first and second half, like you read the lyrics earlier where the Red Riding Hood is sort of realizing like, oh, there's a difference between being nice and being good. Yeah. Which I think is like, we could probably talk about that. I mean, we could probably talk about that as like a, 
LDS sort of post-Mormon yeah, topic all sure. on its own. But sure. um, but that like, but then the witch later in the second half is telling our main characters, like, you're not good, you're just nice. And like, yeah, because in the first half, it does feel like they all have a moral purpose, like they're all good. And in the second half, everyone is like is sort of like becoming relative of like, well, and and to the point where sort of the I'm sure we'll talk about the final sort of big song on its own but mm-hmm. that cinderella and the baker are sort of talking to red riding hood and jack saying like you decide what's good and that's sort of like yeah where, that's the progression i think of of these characters as like recognizing there's a difference between nice and good i feel like i'm good to the witch sort of calling them all out of like you're not good you're just nice <laughs> to then saying you know you decide what's good yeah she says you're so nice you're not good you're not bad you're just nice I'm not good. I'm not nice. I'm just right. I'm the witch. You're mm-hmm. the world. Oh, so good. This music. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. And, and, you know, I want to talk about that song in depth, the no one is alone with the line of, you know, right. you decide what, but that was, cause again, I said I was in the middle of my, you know, faith kind of faith crisis, yeah. faith journey here. And, and I had a really hard time. Like, can I accept and embrace like the messages in this song or should I not? Because that's like, you know, the church would never teach you decide what's right. You decide what's good. Yeah. You know, and this maybe goes into our discussion from everything everywhere all at once that we had um, a couple episodes back about, Uh you know, nothing matters. So you decide what you decide what matters. And so again, it's this very, it's this perspective that, I never had or never thought was okay growing up being in the church. Um, And so that's this. And so for me, seeing this movie, it's like the first half is when I was in the church, you know, we have all the rules, all the commandments, Mm -hmm. things make sense. You know, you follow the commandments and you're going to end up okay. Everything, you know, is logical, works great. And And then eternal happy ever happily. Exactly. Exactly. And then, you know, people come to it through different ways, but a lot of people go through, you know, quote unquote, faith crisis, faith transition, or whatever you want to call it. And some people come out of that and end up leaving the church or not believing it. And then that's kind of like you go into this chaotic, you know, scary, weird second half where you're trying to make sense of what, you know, the way is no longer clear. There's, that's something that they repeated in the movie. They're going through the woods, but they can't recognize anything because everything looks different from before and they don't mm-hmm. know which way to go. And so to me, I think that's a pretty strong metaphor for mm-hmm. that process. Yeah. Yeah, definitely agree. Especially in more recent years, I think as like the phrase covenant path has become sort of a popular phrase. And I feel mm-hmm. like, I don't know if you've heard that as much, but yeah. definitely like as I was starting to leave, was hearing that a lot with Russell Nelson sort of leading the charge in that phrase becoming popular. And so, you know, when I think of follow the, you know, covenant path, like I think of things from the the book of Mormon, like holding to the iron rod and that sort of thing. But, I, but yeah, I think there's a clear sort of metaphor there with a lot of fairy tales of like that woods and being lost, you know, like that mm-hmm. following the path is going to get you where you need to go. And, but in the second half, there is no path. And that's yeah, it's and all that destroyed just causes from the giant. all yeah, it causes all the problems for all these characters because what do you, you what know, do you do now there when is, there's no path? Yeah, exactly. Which is how I felt when I left the church, is because it's like, mm-hmm. oh, like and you know, our believing listening members may may feel differently, but for me it's like, oh, like this path isn't real, you know. So what do I do now? Yeah. I had a very clear path, like there were milestones. And you reach a certain point and then you just hit the like endure to the end point, <laughs> like, yeah. which is just like rinse and repeat for the rest of your life. Yeah. yeah. These, these steps, you know, I know exactly what I'm going to be doing with my life and everything else that I sort of get to choose has to hang on this path in some way. Um, But yeah, when the path gets stomped and blown up and there is no path, like I think a lot yeah. of people can get really lost in figuring out what, life will be like post being Mormon. Uh, One thing that I was thinking about when I was watching this, and this doesn't apply throughout the whole movie, but just a a comparison that I made was when the witch is singing to her kidnapped adoptive daughter, Rapunzel, (laughs) right? you know, Uh 
um, and Rapunzel is wanting to leave. To me, that was very much like maybe how like the church as an organization or not individuals, you know, but like as an organization Mm -hmm. or culture, like reacts or feels when people want to leave them. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have some of the lyrics pulled up here. Um, It's from the song called stay with me. The witch says, don't you know what's out there in the world? Someone has to shield you from the world very much, you know, messages that I felt like I received growing up Mm -hmm. in the church. The world is bad. Like we're here, we're safe. Um, she says, stay with me. Princes wait there in the world. It's true. Princes. Yes. But wolves and humans too. stay at home. I am home who out there could love you more than I, what out there that I cannot supply. Stay with me. Stay with me. The world is dark and wild. Stay a child while you can be a child with me. And so to me, that was that like kind of resonated. It's like, oh, like, I feel like that's a lot of the messaging around people who try to, you know, quote unquote, rely on their own wisdom or try to leave the. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think there've been some talks around that idea recently, either in like firesides or even I think at general conference and I don't have specific talks pulled up um, because I hadn't made that connection until you were saying this, but, Mm -hmm. but using metaphors like staying in the boat, you know, or, um, or literally saying things like, where will you go? Like if you leave Mm -hmm. the church, like, where will you go? And um, and I think definitely a lot of sort of fear tactics being used in saying like, don't you know what's out there? That like if you leave, this these things will get you. And Disney, I think just a couple a few years before, had come out with Tangled, mm-hmm. which surprisingly I think does tackle a lot of these same ideas of like, um, just a little deeper maybe because it's just about Rapunzel. Yeah, but uh, we we had a really good discussion in that episode around those ideas of mother knows best and mm-hmm. sort of that comparison, like in thinking about tangled, is it like the, her like adoptive kidnapped mother entangled, I feel like was more obviously bad. Yeah. Whereas the, I feel like the witch in into the woods, like is a lot more gray. Like, I don't feel as strongly that like you're bad as I, as I do in tangled. And she's, she almost, becomes the narrator right at the very intro and at the very you know ending of the song she's kind of singing like you know the moral of the story song Mm -hmm. like and so she's kind of like this overarching point of view character that can kind of see all of the moving pieces and yeah and you know she she dies in the spoiler alert she dies in the movie (laughs) but then you kind of hear her singing just kind of you know this this cautionary you know right we can maybe go over the lyrics of that later on but I think it's interesting that like by the end of this movie, every parental figure has died except for the baker. Mm-hmm. I mean, pretty much everyone else, like his wife, the giant who is sort of like Jack saying about as being like, like the, the giant's wife uh-huh. being sort of this like mother figure to Secondary him. his own, yeah. yeah, his own mother, the I'm assuming like, we don't ever see Cinderella's like stepmother. Again, yeah, they kind of a certain point go out of the picture, but, and... but her real parents are both dead. And the baker's and wife. Red Riding Hood's mom and grandma are both yeah. uh, presumed dead, and so like it's it's oh, and, and like, even Cinderella's Cinderella's like ghost mom tree is like ruined, is, you yeah. know, is gone. So I mean, she was already dead, but it's you know dead again, dead again. <laughs> um, and so part of me is like, how? Do, why does James Corden get to survive this whole movie? But then. Like, why is the baker the only one who gets to survive? Mm-hmm. And and I think that I'm sure part of it is that, like, from a thematic point of view, like, he was the least equipped to be a parent until that point of the ending. Like, and now he has to sort of step up to it. And he has to avoid making the same mistakes that his father yeah. made. But just, you know, very fairy tale-ish to, like, like we're not just going to kill the mom, but we're going to kill everyone's moms and everyone's dads and so like we're just at the end like everyone's sort of left to fend for themselves a little bit and Mm -hmm. and create you know sort of a new family yeah and i love the ending like every time this movie ends i'm always like i want to see what happens next like yeah like i wish there was another act of like what how does the baker and cinderella and red riding hood and jack and and the baby like like what's their life like from now because mm-hmm. I think that's an interesting, like, I really like the idea of sort of found family and, 
and sort of like I feel like a lot of movies have that as like a, th- a theme and sure um and, and and I feel like a lot of people have that experience after leaving the church that like where they are maybe literally rejected by their family like now have to find well if I can't have the happily ever after like what's the new community that I'm going to yeah. be a part of and um like that idea that in the second half the traditional sort of family ties aren't aren't necessarily what's going to mm-hmm. keep these characters connected anymore oh and there's a in the movie the prince comes and talks to anna kendrick cinderella's character uh-huh and and he's like come on let's go and she's like no i'm not going to go with you and she said something along the lines of you know my life was a nightmare before with my family and then my mm-hmm. life with you is a dream but i want to live somewhere in between right you know and so i think that's kind of getting at what you were talking about there yeah yeah i think that's a good summary so one thing that i want to talk about is probably my favorite song from this yeah. whole musical which is there are giants in the sky mm. uh that's a good one yeah so this was in the first half, which, you know, is the uh-huh. the less ambiguous half. But to me, this song is like, I heard it or like once I revisited it after I'd left the church, I'm like, ooh, this is like, I want to make this my, like my post-Mormon anthem. Like to yeah. me, this is like, th- this is like really resonant with me in my post-Mormon state. And mm-hmm. so I just kind of wanted to go through the lyric, like, maybe the whole song. I don't know, <laughs> but yeah. uh, like go through. Cause it, it's, it's just really like, it, it hits a lot of, a lot of notes for me here. Um, no pun intended. No pun intended. <laughs> I don't, I don't know if like, I, cause I feel like this is, you know, it's sung by Jack. It's like his only song. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like it's probably not like, you know, one of the more well-known or, or yeah. Like from this people, musical. yeah. People aren't probably grabbing onto this one as much. Yeah. Um, but I'll, I'll just kind of start and maybe we can kind of talk through it. Yeah. Um, so he's singing this song after he's come down from being, you know, he's already climbed the beanstalk. He's been up there, he's seen the mm-hmm. giants and come back down. And he's talking about what he's seen. There are giants in the sky. There are big, tall, terrible giants in the sky. When you weigh up high and you look below at the world you've left And I think you know little more than a glance is enough to show you just how small you are So this is, to me, this is like kind of like, you know, leaving the church You know, you get out and there's this huge big world that you've never been able to explore or know mm-hmm. about You know, and you just realize how how small of a part you are in it when you weigh your pie and you're on your own in a world like none that you've ever known The sky is left and the earth is stone You're free to do whatever pleases you Exploring things you never dare cause you don't care um, And so, you know, that's just kind of like, you know, you're you're leaving the leaving the church You're like able to explore all these things that or have all of these opinions and thoughts that weren't allowed before, mm-hmm. you know When suddenly there's a big tool Terrible giant at the door. A giant? A big, tall, terrible lady giant sweeping the floor. And she gives you food and she gives you rest. And she draws you close to a giant's breast. And you know things now that you never knew before. Not to the sky. Um, you know, and so you go out and you find that there's there's some good, there's some cool, neat things out in this world. Yeah. Well, especially like, you know, to most people, finding giants would be scary. Yeah. But yeah. the the like he kind of befriends her. Right. You know? Yeah. And there's sort of yeah, just the contrast between what you were expecting, this big scary thing to be, and then because that's what I've been told it would be. Yeah, right. It's, it's like it's like the witch. It's the witch yeah. saying, be, be, beware of going out into the world because there's big, scary things. But you go out there and it's like, hey, like, this place is pretty great. There's a lot of cool. Yeah. And I just felt kind of like that, that perspective opening. And to me, it's like, for example, I'm going to give like two short examples. Mm-hmm. Both were examples of when I was at a museum with a believing member. 
<laughs> when we were okay. going through some exhibits and and there was one that was going through and it was like it was like i can't remember it was about like the formation and the creation of the earth you know like a space mm -hmm. geology exhibit and um and he said to me he's like it's just great to know you know that we have like the revealed truth about this and how like the world was actually formed yeah. you know and like the scientist part inside of me was like cringy a little bit it's like you know because this was already after i'd left uh -huh. the church and then there's another one where we were at an art museum and we were looking at like some prehistoric like little clay and stone figurines that were carved mm -hmm. um from like you know 10,000 bc you know five to 10,000 BC, like really, really old. Uh -huh. And the person I was with, like was looking at the dates and they're like, wait, that, that doesn't make sense based on, you know, the timeline that I learned in, you know, old Testament seminary, right. you know, like this, this doesn't like, like that's way before Adam and Eve were ever on earth. And I was like, yeah, like, like, you know, a lot of people don't believe that, you know, literal, like garden young, of Eden younger, enough, younger yeah. theory. Yeah. yeah. And so, and so that was just like mind blowing to them. Cause I guess they had never brushed up against that ever in their education or anywhere else. But like, yeah, we have like artifacts and tools and art from before when the church says Adam and Eve were right. on the earth, you know? And so to me, that's, that's what it's like, you know, going up, we're up and we're in the world, we're in the giant's place and we're, we're learning things that we never knew before. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you don't have to like make excuses and be limited by, you know, this mindset that is really hard to hold on to with what the church teaches is true. Yeah. You know, based on the science and knowledge and everything else that's out there. The, that story, I think, is a good example of like cognitive dissonance. Like when yeah. that's a big word or phrase, I mean, that that I feel like gets thrown around around a lot in post-Mormon circles. Mm -hmm. But I think that's a good, like very clear example of like, here's this thing I was taught. Here's what I'm learning right now. They can't work match. together. And yeah. so I can't, I can't hold them both. And if I try to, it's cognitive dissonance, you know, like, and, it, and, and that's why it was so freeing leaving the church. Cause it's like, I don't have to try to pretend to like fit these narratives that the church taught to me to make it work with everything else that I know. Right. You know? And so that's the line. And you know, things now that you never knew before, not till the sky. Only just when you made a friend and door And you know she's big but you don't feel small Someone bigger than her comes along The heart to swallow you for lunch And your heart is left in your stomach stone And you're really scared being all alone And it's then that you miss all the things you've known In the world you've left and they live to your own And so it's saying like you run into big scary things You know or, or hard things mm -hmm. in this world And it makes you kind of wish like Oh I want to go back to like when things were simple when yeah. things were simpler back then because you know life life is hard is it it is a scary woods you know it is a scary mm -hmm. world and there's there are problematic scary things that you can run into it's done you steal what you can and run and you scramble down and you live below in the world you know begins to grow the roof the house and your mother at the door the roof the house and the world you You're back again, only different than before. After the sky. And so, you know, you're you're coming back into this world that you're familiar with. And and sometimes I feel that, you know, when you know I, I attend church with my family, it's it's really complicated feelings, you know, but like mm -hmm. or just remembering, you know, looking back through my mission stuff, it's 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 complicated and it's and it's weird, but it's like you wish you know, you think of all the things you've seen both up in the giant world and down where you used to live and you wish you could live in between, right? You wish there was a place where you could, yeah, you know, have, have the nostalgic, nice things that you remember from being a believing member of the church while still being able to, you know, embrace, you know, the parts of this other world. Mm -hmm. And that's, and that's how I feel a lot of times. Yeah. There are giants in the sky. There are big, tall, terrible, awesome, scary, wonderful giants in the sky. 
And I think that that's a perfect encapsulation of like what the world is like after you leave the church. It's like big, there's big, scary stuff there, but there's really wonderful, amazing, awesome stuff there too. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like, you know, just to bring this back to a gospel metaphor of like, you know, the garden of Eden, you know, where everything's like bland, you know, there's no, there's no real choices there. And in order to, you know, know true goodness and beauty and joy, you also have to know the pain and the sadness and the Mm -hmm. sorrow. Right. And so, you know, leaving the garden, you get both sides of that coin. Same with like leaving the church, you know, there's, there's great stuff. There's not great stuff. And sometimes, you know, you kind of miss the mindset and the, the things that you had when you were in the church. Yeah. So, yeah, I would guess that most people who've left the church, like, you know, it's not everyone obviously, but, but I think a lot of people do miss when things were simpler and like more black and white and like Mm -hmm. that come, you know, sort of that first story you told of being at a museum. Yeah. Someone who says like, I'm just glad that I know more than everyone else about this. Yeah. I think that's a lot of like church members mindset is like, we have the truth. And so like, I don't have to worry about everything else. And, and that's a really great place to be in when you're, when you, when you don't have to worry about lots of stuff in life, because exactly. it's all figured out for you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I definitely agree with that. I've, I also really like that song from this movie and, and love the idea of like wishing that there was a way to sort of live in between. I mm-hmm. think a lot of, a lot of people who've leave the church wish that like, it was easier to square, like maintaining the things they liked about church with being outside the church and like, yeah finding a middle ground there, which we talk a lot about of like, I think we've talked about that on lots of episodes, like wishing there was some way to sort of feel comfortable in between. And, and I think that in, in the movie, like Jack's able to straddle that a little bit more, like, like wishing there was some way in between, like for the first half, but like, obviously there, the two halves come like clashing. Mm-hmm. in the second half of this movie and so like you know so i don't know maybe the movie saying there's not real hope for like finding a middle ground that like if there's too much difference like yeah maybe they just can't they'll always separate and yeah that line also reminds me a little bit and maybe we've mentioned this in another episode i can't remember but it's almost like in the lord of the rings trilogy when the hobbits come back at the end after their adventure mm-hmm. and they're just kind of sitting around the table in the little pub in the shire Yeah. You know, and they're just kind of like thinking and reminiscing and they, they've had all of this big, you know, grand adventure and know things that they Mm -hmm. didn't know before. And, you know, they're surrounded by, you know, the, the happy Shire life that everyone's kind of oblivious to what they were, what they've gone through. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think that, you know, that's a good example too, of like the Shire isn't really different, but they are. Yeah. And I think that's the big difference is that like, it's, you know, once you've had certain experiences, like there's just no going back and, mm-hmm. you know, Jack can't forget that there's giants in the sky. Right. Cause they're, he knows. Yep. Yeah. So thanks for letting me uh, indulge a little bit. Like yeah. ever since, ever since we've started this <laughs> podcast, I've wanted to like, I've wanted to do this movie. I feel like this has yeah. been on the list for me and especially that song because it's just really resonates with my experience there. Yeah. Too. I think, I think like that song has always really stood out to me. And then the no one is alone song at the end of the movie, like that there's a through line between sort of red riding hood and Jack's sort of like growing up and like the coming, coming of age sort of story Mm -hmm. to then like fully sort of closing that circle at the end with what we were talking about before, where it's like, you know, everyone can be good or bad. Like you get to choose what's good. Yeah. Um, should and I read like, some of the lyrics from yeah, that? They've got yeah. pulled up here. Yeah, go for it. Because that's, that's another one that I feel like deserves kind of going through a little yep. bit. And you know, that this is like at the very end of the movie where like everything's kind of fallen apart and they're trying to figure out, you know, what mm-hmm. to do. Um, well, and I think that like the impetus for the song is like sort of Red Riding Hood saying like, we're going to kill, like we're planning to kill this giant. But like the yeah. giant is a person too. The giant's like, a person too, yeah. And... What do I do with that? Mother cannot guide you. Now you're on your own. 
I know. Mother isn't here now. Wrong things, right things. Who knows what she'd say? Who can say what's true? Nothing's quite so clear now. Do things, fight things. Feel you've lost your way. You decide, but you, you are, are not alone. alone. Believe me, no one is no alone. No one is alone. Believe me. Truly. And then this next part is is like something that like I didn't get, and I I don't know that I you know this is something that like you have to stew over and think about. People make mistakes. Fathers, mothers, people make mistakes, holding to their own, thinking they're alone, honor their mistakes, for their mistakes. everybody makes one another's terrible mistakes. Like, what does that mean? Right? Like, honoring their mistakes and fighting for them. Right. You know, and so... Like this, this is like a fairy tale story, but I don't think it's for kids, you know, at least mm-hmm. not this second half, because this is pretty deep stuff. Um, you know, it's not talking about like, you know, it's ambiguous. People can make mistakes, but let's like honor that. Let's honor the things that they thought that they were doing that might have been the right thing, or let's, you know, fight for them to allow to make those mistakes because we're, we're not perfect and right. we make mistakes too. Yeah, I think that's a I I that's those are the lines that I love probably the most in this song mm-hmm. is that idea of like within the like the confines of the gospel. It's like, yes, there's repentance, but like that's sort of like the last resort. <laughs> sort of yeah. it's like like yeah. you shouldn't get to that point where you need right. to repent. Exactly. And so like and even then it's like those ideas are wrapped up around like anytime you make a mistake or sin, like you're causing more suffering for like your savior. Mm-hmm. And um and so it's like you you aren't even allowed to like really fully own when you do make a mistake because like it's your mistake is also shared by someone else. And like, mm-hmm. and so it's like, it's not just your mistake now, like, like the atonement ideas get all wrapped up in that, which I think can be comforting in a lot of ways, but it also feels like we should be allowed to make mistakes mm-hmm. because that's part of being human. And like, like it, when I think, especially like one of my kids is like very much a perfectionist which I feel like I was growing up. And so it is like every mistake is like, I beat myself up over it. And I really love the freedom of like, dishonor the idea that like everyone makes mistakes and like, you should own that Like people make mistakes and like embrace it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a lot easier said than done. I think too. Yeah. And then the next lines are really good too. Um, you know, so we just saying about, Honor their mistakes, fight for their mistakes. Everybody makes one another's terrible mistakes. Witches can be right. Giants can be good. You decide what's right. You decide what's good. And, you know, we mentioned this a little bit already, but that mm-hmm. was, you know, the part was like, can I, can I, can I truly, you am know, as a believing member, am I allowed to <laughs> like embrace this or is this teaching like false doctrines, you know? <laughs> right. Uh, and so that was like really weird for me, that concept, but. You know, witches can be right. Giants can be good. That goes back to the whole perspective thing. And we, we've talked about that before earlier in the episode. Um, just remember. Just remember. Someone is on your side. Our side. Someone else is not. While we're seeing our side. Our side. Maybe we forgot. They are not alone. No one is alone. Someone is on your side. No one is alone. You know, like, I don't know about other religions, but at least in in the one that we were raised in, the idea of moral relativity was really bad mm-hmm. you know there's there's one right way there's one truth there's one god one gospel and and that and that's the way to go but so i found this quote that i think connects to sort of like at least the, the believing point of view this is in eldon tanner from 1979 and the quote is, is really short and and obviously has a lot of more context around it but the quote itself is like when the prophet speaks the debate is over mm-hmm 
And that's like, there's no relativity allowed within that. Yeah. And so that idea of like, you decide what's right, you decide what's good is, is very much in contrast to a lot of like how we're taught about, like you're allowed personal revelation, but when that revelation goes against something the prophet said, then you got the revelation from the wrong place. Yeah. And that's a lot of, I think how like church leaders have literally talked about it is that like, you know, eventually leaving the church, like, I think you end up in that place where it's like, I don't have this like guiding rule anymore. That's going to say, here's the list of good. And here's the list of bad. Yeah. It's like, you've got to figure it out for yourself. And, and that's tough. For example, Nick, would you say that slavery is good or bad? I would say that it's bad. And see, uh, just that right there. I think that you are a higher moral authority than the Bible. I think you're more, you know, so, so it's like, you know, you come up with these things in the church and it's like, okay, like, I don't agree with that. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, follow my conscience and, and go where right. it takes me. So, um, so yeah. Well, yeah. And I think there's a long list to that where it's like, once you sort of are in a position where it's like, I feel like I can decide what's right and good. Then like the answer about all these things that like, as a believing member, you had to compartmentalize or rationalize. So things like for me, like polygamy becomes like, no, I just think it was bad. Yeah. Like I just think yeah. It was you don't wrong. have to try, you don't have to try and, to rationalize. And anymore. yeah. Whereas a believing member, it's like the deciding that fit. <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah. because what's right or what's good has been decided for you. Yeah. And so you've been told polygamy was actually good. And so now you've got to say, it looks very bad to me though. Mm-hmm. How do I make it good now? Yeah. And you've got to figure out, well, it's because, you know, there were a lot of widows that needed to be taken care of. And so that's how you arrive at these like, these apologist arguments that put, you know, sort of it's saying I've got, I already have the conclusion. I've got to make everything arrive at that conclusion. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just so much more freeing as a someone who's outside the church now to say, I don't know what the conclusion is. And a lot of yeah, times I don't have I to still know. still don't, I don't know what the conclusion is. Yeah, yeah. I don't have to know. I just know how, you know, like based on my experience, this is what it is. And like, I don't have to make it fit a certain way. And to pull it back to Frozen 2, okay. just got to do the next right thing, right? Exactly. You, you don't know where to go, what to do. Just do the next right thing. Mm-hmm. Um, this is reminding me of a discussion. And I can't remember if this was a BYU class or like a Sunday school lesson or just a conversation. But it was back like when I was in the church, but it was like a very nuancey conversation. Yeah. Um, they allow was like, surfing. yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it was, it was talking about Abraham from the Bible, uh-huh. right? And the sacrifice of Isaac and how you know, obviously it's wrong to kill, mm-hmm. you know, your own son. And that, that was God testing him. But like the, the, the idea was what if Abraham failed that test? Mm-hmm. You know, what if God wanted Abraham to say, no, I'm not going to do that, you know, but because he couldn't, maybe that's why we have all of this, you know, harsher, stricter old Testament, Abrahamic stuff yeah. going on because he didn't pass the test. So we needed more rules, sort of, is what you're saying. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. So anyways, just reminded me of that. The problem, I think, for me is that a lot of what we're talking about of like is sort of baked into the like skeleton of the gospel and, and sort of Mormon doctrine is that like free agency or moral agency is something that you should have. Like you should be able to decide what's good and right. It's just that the problem for me is that it always bumps up against the organizational institution of the church. Mm-hmm. And that like, if we didn't have that and we were just sort of like, here's all these great things that we're teaching you. I'm going to let you govern yourselves to quote a certain, <laughs> or paraphrase uh-huh. a certain, someone. Yeah. it's like, that is a great idea. And I think that is speaking to what sort of we're talking about is that like you like learn and decide what's good and then hold to it. And I think sort of the like best version of the gospel allows for that. It's just that there has, there's an organization that sort of has to make rules and like make this, you know, work across a whole globe of different cultures and people. Mm-hmm. And I think that hampers the, what sort of, for me, I always felt like was the true message of the gospel. And, and it's just that, well, I feel like I can live that a lot better outside the church and, yeah. and not necessarily need to have the church to, to make that happen. Yeah. 
Exactly. And and going back to sort of like, what would they do next? These characters, like mm-hmm. once the giant's taken care of, we end with them in the woods. Like we don't see them go back to the village and like start right. to live a new life. Like part of me is like, I kind of think it'd be cool if they just stayed in the woods now. And like they and built they a new house there and made it work and they just have their own place in the woods and have figured out like, yeah, we can make it work here. Like it, we feel better in the woods than we did before. Mm-hmm. That's my head, head cannon, head cannon for, yeah. Uh, yeah, for the into the woods too. And then, you know, as we're, as we're ending the movie, the witch comes in to sing the, you know, kind of the narrator's mm-hmm. farewell. Once upon a time, in a far-off kingdom, there lay a small village at the edge of the woods. Careful the things you say. And in this village, children will listen. There lived a young maiden, Careful the a carefree you young do. lad, children will see. and a childless baker. And love. With his wife. the scariest part of this whole movie is the whole, that whole <laughs> yeah. idea of like when you're a parent with kids oh i'm, I'm sure yeah So again, just this idea of, you know, your wishes, like, like children, you know, are affected. The things that you want for can be seen that way. And like the the things that you desire, your wishes, what you feed them, it can kind of get out of hand. Mm-hmm. They all get their happy ending. Like they all, at the, uh-huh. the beginning of the movie starts with them saying, I wish and all the things they wish they get it. But now what I think as an adult is resonates with me as well. It's like, not all like what you want isn't always what's best for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to say a few more lines because yeah, they're great. Um, and so we have this little refrain, which was in the very opening number. We never talked about the opening number, but can mm-hmm. we a little bit? Yeah. It's like 16 minutes long. That's really uh-huh. long. That's really long. <laughs> and, but it's, it's masterful. You, it, it introduces all of these different characters from all these different, storylines mm-hmm. that we're going to be following and kind of their their motivations and it's just like like when i saw this in the theater and it ended i'm like whoa we're already like and i and i looked at it last night when i was watching it's like 15 minutes right 16 minutes of this one song but anyways at the very end it comes back and it's the same song but the words are altered because again we've been through this huge journey at the beginning you mm-hmm. know it's like classic fairy tale but now there's a lot more ambiguity a lot more uh, you know, right. Morley Gray. this idea of absorb like 
Like you have all these experiences, good and bad. Remember that. Let that be a lesson. Yeah, it's really a great movie. Like you can tell just how much thought went into like every line spoken or or sung, like how yeah. much thought went in that there's multiple layers mm-hmm. or it's calling back, you know, how it how the line is said at the beginning then comes back yeah. differently, you know, like just um yeah, lots of care and thought and and really love it. Like the like you said the structure of the lyrics, but the music too, like this is this is like Sondheim is pretty technically difficult music. And it's not like some of these other musicals where like the songs get stuck in your head and there's like these really nice flowing melodic melodies you can whistle. Yeah, exactly. It's it's like really technical and difficult and complicated, which, which fits for the message of it. I think, Mm -hmm. Uh, which I think is great. I think the only other thing I want to talk about, because I think I've loved everything we've said is the song agony. Oh, is yeah. <laughs> also one of my favorites. Yeah. Um, which I think also like that whole, like, like I've, I've got to prove that I, I'm suffering more than you mm-hmm. sort of thing can be very Mormon too. Oh, like, yeah. Yeah. This persecution <laughs> sort of complex that I think sometimes Mormons hold on to, but as a song, just love the, that song. Just, mm-hmm. I think it's Chris Pine. I think I had only really seen him in, you know, like Star Trek. maybe more, yeah, like Star Trek or maybe some more dramatic sort of roles and uh, just loved seeing him sort of eat up. Like I get to play this really fun character. Yeah. So yeah, if you haven't seen it and you've lasted this long, definitely go check it out. Cause I think For this sure. is a great movie and it's on Disney plus. Yeah. I mean, every, everyone has Disney plus at this point. Right. So uh, I think most, <laughs> yeah. So go check it out uh, again. Feel free to reach out, contact us through social media or email. All the information's in the uh, episode description. I hope you have a happily ever after. All right, everybody. See ya. See you next time. Bye. Post Mormon at the Movies is on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Follow us for regular updates and subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you can download episodes as they become available. Thank you for listening, and we will see you at the Movies next time. Mm-hmm.